either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, at least one Oscar contender to talk about this weekend. Ooh, goody, another musical, too. <laughs> Are we fighting again? Uh, we'll find out. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com. We'll start off with a non-musical, very serious business. New York Times reporters break one of the most important stories in a generation, a story that helped ignite a movement and shattered decades of silence around the subject of sexual assault in Hollywood. It is She Said. The women who receive these settlements, they can't speak out. They'll be sued if they do. But if someone could speak freely about the payouts... What payouts, John? You have to imagine that every call you make is being recorded and you're being followed. Can you imagine how many Harveys there are out there? You want to get me killed. Do you wish you hadn't signed up for this story? Do you? No. The only way these women are going to go on the record is if they all jump together. We're all here, Harvey. Who have you talked to? I have three daughters, and I don't want them to ever accept abuse or bullying. I'll go on the record. Go write. It's time to write. This is all going to come up. I was silenced. I want my voice back. So this is based on the New York Times investigation, the two reporters, Megan Toohey and Jody Cantor, that broke the Harvey Weinstein story, which is, yes, incredibly important. And of course, it's going to immediately remind you of similar films, Spotlight, an Oscar-winning film from from a few years ago, and of course, the classic All the President's Men. Um, so it's another film that reminds you of the really indispensable need for investigative reporters like this at the same time it's taking you inside an incredibly important story that as the synopsis said there really ignited a movement you know and and you were talking yesterday you love a heist movie you know heist movies are fun yeah for investigative reporter these these movies are fun they're fascinating they're riveting you just you know and they're important too especially now because so often the press is under such attack yeah and then you have you know tabloid journalism all that and people tend to forget what an important role reporters like this can play yeah and the, you know and and there is that backdrop they're from the york new york times and so they're they really are they have to chase documentation they have yeah. to chase corroboration they can't just have one quote and have to run with it i mean it, it take it took a long time for them and they kept hitting walls because all of these humans had signed these ndas and it, but, you know, it's um it's a fascinating story and it's so well told. And it's you know, and I think that if you're going to tell the Harvey Weinstein story, this is the way to do it because it doesn't wallow in victimization. It's just these are the facts. This is what happened and this is what it took to gather that information. Mm-hmm. But it's giving you the information as it does it. And it's really well made. And there you know. Films like this can get very talky and there can be a lot of just standing and talking in a room and uh Filmmaker Maria Schrader really offsets that with gorgeous framing. So, for example, you know, if there's a clandestine meeting between reporter and source in a in a hotel or a, a restaurant booth, for mm-hmm. example, it's off to the left. But what you're looking at is this gorgeous big picture window vista down a street in New York City at night. I mean, the whole movie really is is gorgeous to look at. It's very quick moving. 
The performances are exceptional. I mean, the whole cast, it's quite a cast. It's always great when a, a filmmaker obviously knows that. Like you talk, you you mentioned, it's, it's very talky. Same way that trial movies. Yeah. Remember how impressive the Chicago 7 was? Aaron Sorkin seemed very cognizant of that and found ways to make the a sterile environment like a courtroom and a trial just have a little life to it. And I think that's what you're talking about here. Make it very interesting to watch yes. while you're hearing all this information. Yeah. And, the, you know, and and also, you know, there are a handful of gut punches. You know, there's a you, for the, the first interview with one of the victims and it is Ashley Judd. And you can tell on the phone it's Ashley Judd. You can tell the voice is Ashley Judd. And then eventually it's, in fact, Ashley Judd who's yeah. in the film yeah. recounting her own story over the phone to this reporter, which is you don't get to see something like that in All the President's Men or right. Spotlight. You know what I mean? It really is. It's And it's not done in a way that feels maudlin or feels... It's, and then eventually, and this was really... Triggering is the wrong word, but there's audio, and it's actually audio. It's actual audio of Harvey Weinstein bullying a woman. And it's... Um, it. You know, it, it is a quick reminder within the film that while the film itself is uh, a reenactment, it is fictionalized, certainly to agree, this happened and this was awful this was awful mm-hmm. and also what i love about it is that zoe Xan has to kind of convince a little bit has to kind of convince oh yeah we haven't even mentioned the two leads oh. uh, zoe zoe kazan plays uh jody Cantor, and carrie mulligan plays megan tui so they are the two leads and part of a great ensemble cast yeah tremendous and tui has to a little bit be con- be convinced to be the sort of researcher that helps out with the reporter uh because she's just not sure she sees the relevance of a bunch of you know Really famous, wealthy people who are being harassed. And, and what, what Megan Tui says is, if this can happen, if this can happen to rich and famous actresses, imagine what this is like for his assistants. Imagine right. what this is like for the people who work for him. You know. And then the other thing that they point out is, if it's this easy for Harvey Weinstein to get away with this for 20 plus years, how many other Harvey Weinsteins are there? Right. And I right. think, you know, without beating you over the head, they make some incredibly important points, um, really relevant points. Uh, but also, it just, it's, it's, I mean, it's an incredibly well made, exciting film in that same vein as what you're talking about the, the, just the best of those riveting investigative reporter films. Yeah. Which is always, like I said, important to remember the the role that they play. And uh, written by the screenplay was was by Rebecca Linkowitz, uh, based on the reporting of these two of these two uh, New York Times reporters. And the the cast also includes Patricia Clarkson, Amazing. Andre Brower, oh, yeah, so great. a great ensemble, and it could very well be an Oscar contender. Very very solid. Out now in theaters called She Said. The other big one opening in theaters this weekend involves a young couple traveling to a remote island to eat at an exclusive restaurant where the chef has prepared a lavish menu with some shocking surprises. This is called The Menu. Are you crying? (laughs) It's just I find it all very moving. So it's okay that I'm not as into this as you are. Oh my God. You shouldn't be here tonight. You, my dear guests, are not the common man. Isn't that right? Is he going to keep doing that? What happens inside this room is meaningless compared to what happens outside. We are but a frightened nanosecond. Nature is timeless. What the hell is going on? I love you all. We love you too, sir! 
Any questions? Is this bergamot I'm getting, Chef? Yes, it is. Man, this is one, the trailer from the get-go. I remember the first time I saw the trailer, I thought, yes, please. Yes, exactly. And I think a lot of people might be thinking, because of the trailer... It's more of a horror movie than it is. Right. It's, it's much more a dark, satirical comedy. Mm-hmm. There is some bloodshed, don't get me wrong. But uh, some of the things that the trailer makes you think aren't, aren't really going on. But still, a very enjoyable movie and led by a great cast. Ray Fiennes at the top. I would love for him to get some Oscar consideration. We'll see. But he is great as the chef at this very exclusive restaurant on an island. And you have to take a ferry there. And it costs... Over a thousand dollars a head, and they only can take you know like eight groups per night. And uh, it's, you've got this this couple is there, Anya Taylor Joy and Nicholas Holt, and then you've got uh, John Leguizamo plays an actor. He's there with his assistant. You've got this food critic played by Janet McTeer, who we haven't seen for a while, wow. and her assistant is there. And then there's some hedge fund bros and this couple, this older couple that's longtime uh, longtime regulars. So they're there feeling very privileged, and that is what this movie is is really digging into. The, the wealth inequality and the kind of people that would eat at this restaurant and feel entitled to do so. And it also really digs into, I'll tell you, anybody that has spent any time in the food service industry, as, as we, have. we have. Oh, yeah. You will get an extra kick out of this, <laughs> believe me, because even in the the most high class of restaurants, there's a certain point where the staff just isn't going to take it anymore. Yeah. And boy, how many of us that have worked in restaurants have wanted to go there. <laughs> so that is not only fun to watch play out, but also that becomes the metaphor for the classes as this wealth inequality grows, the revolt that may be inevitable. So it's very cleverly written, and it's the kind of the kind of movie that I think I was hoping the that triangle, triangle of yeah. sadness yeah. would have been more. Uh, I was really disappointed in that. It was just too obvious, and this one is is more sly about it. Now, the, the couple of the writers, one of them uh, did some work at the Onion. Nice. So that goes to show you how much you know humor is involved here. But it's very, very dark humor, and uh, but some of it is laugh out loud funny. And also, I did notice that Will Ferrell and Adam McKay are producers. Mm-hmm. Of this, So it's definitely got its foot more in the satirical comedy camp than the horror camp. But yes, there definitely is some bloodshed. And it's it's the kind of movie that you're not quite sure exactly. There are there are ways that could end up and you're trying to guess, but you it never tips its hand. You're never quite sure how far are they <laughs> going to take this, and which I liked as well. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. And I'll tell you what, don't go hungry to this movie. <laughs> Because by the time you're done, you are going to be starving. The photography of this food is just incredible. And they they put some on-screen text when they're showing these dishes uh, as the chef is describing them and what goes into them. You're like, oh, my Lord. And they're back there cooking. And and when they're ready, he comes out and explains to everybody what they're going to be eating and everything. Uh, yeah, it's some pretty exquisite-looking looking food. And what a cast. Yeah, a great ensemble cast, and they all you know play their parts very, very well as they continue as things 
ramp up and they get more and more maybe violent and more and more extreme. You know, maybe some people think they're really in danger and other people think, no, this is all part of the show. This is all part of the presentation. <laughs> and there are definitely some surprises along the way. So I found it very, very enjoyable, especially if you, like we do, like dark humor mm-hmm. and satire. And it, when it's done right, it's very, very enjoyable, as I think this is. Um, and get ready to go want a good meal when you're done. Uh, <laughs> and this is out uh, in theaters now. Oh, I didn't even mention, I mentioned the writers, uh, Seth Reese and Will Tracy. And then the director is Mark Mylod. So so it's well-constructed all the way around. Uh, the ensemble cast we mentioned, writers and directors. So uh, a nice horror comedy thriller. Dig into the menu in theaters now. Also this week, happily getting a wider theatrical release than we originally thought, and with good reason, is a darker version of the classic children's fairy tale of a wooden puppet that transforms into a real living boy. This is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. The wooden boy with the borrowed soul. While you may have eternal life, your loved ones, they do not. You never know how long you have with someone until they're gone. The boy loves you for who you are. Guide him to be good. Stop that! Don't hurt him anymore! You may have no strength, but I control you. Please bring him back to me. Life is such a wonderful gift. You know, we talked some weeks ago when the live-action version of Pinocchio was out with Tom Hanks that if you're going to remake this, you've got to have a reason. You should have a reason. Give it a new vision. Well, boy, you've got one here with the GDT version, and since it's getting this wider release, if you can see it on the big screen, do that. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, we've long been fans of Guillermo del Toro's, and we'll, we'll go see anything, absolutely anything that he makes. One of the things that I thought about while watching this movie is... He was just born for animation. You know, it reminded me of watching Fantastic Mr. Fox some years back and Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox and thinking, why didn't it occur to me how perfect this filmmaker was for animation? (laughs) You know, because he has, Del Toro has such a sense of wonder. Oh, yeah. You know, in everything that he makes. His heart is always on his sleeve. And and at the same time, everything leans so sort of gothic, dark, and Mm -hmm. horror. I mean, it's just, and it's a magnificent combination for. For animation. Yeah, and we should say this is stop-motion animation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Incredible. Yeah, absolutely stunning. And the cast, oh my goodness. You know, uh, Kate Blanchett, Tilda Swinton. um, Ron Perlman, uh, Finn Wolfhard, Ewan McGregor. um, Burn Gorman, my friends. Yeah, Burn Gorman, yeah. (laughs) Christoph Waltz, who's amazing. Yeah, John Uh, Turturro. John Turturro. I mean, the, the cast is stunning. And uh, the film is, as the synopsis says, a bit darker. It definitely takes some turns that you're not going to be used to, uh, given the the Disney films. One of the things maybe that I found the most remarkable about this movie is, you know, if you look at the original, the the Disney film or the Disney remake, it's a cautionary tale about obedience. So is Del Toro's, <laughs> but his is do not obey, right? right? Don't. Because what, what it what can lead to. What yeah, happens yeah, when yeah. you just do as you Blindly are told. Blindly obey, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and, and as so many of Del Toro's films are, it's set 
um, in the era of fascism. This is set uh, sort of between the world wars in Italy, in a small village in Italy. And uh, and so, you know, it looks at uh, Catholicism as well as fascism mm-hmm. in terms of a requirement for, for obedience right, and, right. and how, you know, that's not good for anybody. But, you know, don't let that dissuade you if you think to yourself, I don't want to watch something political because that... Those are really just the underpinnings. It's a fascinating story, beautifully told, gut-wrenchingly told. <laughs> yeah. I cried. It's yeah, just he, gorgeous. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah, Del Toro, a co-director with Mark Gustafson and co-writer with Patrick McHale, adapting, obviously, the, the source material. But uh, you're right. It seems to be a story that is just so suited for him. Mm-hmm. Animation mm-hmm. is suited for him. And it's just, it's it's a happy story that it is getting this wider release uh, theatrically because uh, it, things just, I know it's, it is very convenient to just watch it on Netflix. I totally get that. But man, if you love the theater experience and see, want to see something that just just demands the big screen, yeah, this you go. Is it. This is it. It really does. It is absolutely stunning. And it is uh, Pinocchio out uh, in theaters now, in wide release theaters now. All right, let's go to Disney Plus for a musical. 15 years after her happily ever after, Giselle questions her happiness, inadvertently turning the lives of those in the real world and Andalasia upside down in the process. This is disenchanted. In Andalasia, the hardest part of life is finding your happily ever after. This world's very different. If this world is not to your liking, then you must change it. I wish. Jumping jelly stick. Wait, how am I talking? For a fairy tale life, and it's all gone terribly wrong. Or terribly right. At the last stroke of 12, nothing will be as it was before. Stepmother! Uh oh. Oh, Giselle, what have you done? <laughs> That's wicked. Wicked good. <gasps> So it's interesting, you go back, you have to go back to 2007 for the first Enchanted. And really, this was after some supporting roles. Enchanted was the one that really pushed Amy Adams to the A-listers as far as lead roles. Yeah, I mean, she really she she really shone in Catch Me If You Can yeah. uh, in a small role. And yeah. then she was already nominated for an Oscar, but for a very small movie that nobody ever saw exactly. called Junebug. We saw yeah. loved it. Yeah. But this was her first Big lead, mm-hmm. and she was kind of perfect at it. And I'm not. Gonna oh lie yeah, to you. she is. She's perfect. I do not care for musicals, as you know. <laughs> what? I do not care for princesses, right? As you know, that was not my bag. That original, it really was not. Although I understand that it was a charming delight for most people. Most people really loved it. This now the sequel, I it was interesting to me for two different reasons. One is it's like you know it's like so what happens when she kind of approaches midlife? Uh, that might be interesting to me. And then also. If there's anything that Disney does right, it is villains. I love me a good Disney villain. Mm-hmm. Love. So not only is because of the wish that Giselle makes is is the Amy Adams character a little wicked, but the evil queen is played by Maya Rudolph, who's yes. always amazing. So we should talk the 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 wish. She she they move to the suburbs hoping that she can find the happily that she expected to find. Yeah, she's ever married after. to Patrick Dempsey, mm-hmm. and he has a daughter, right, Morgan, who mm-hmm. was a little kid when she met her back mm-hmm. in the last, and now she's a high school student. And they have their own little one now, but 
It's mainly that she, that Giselle just doesn't feel like this high school, this adolescent teen likes her anymore, and she's sad about that. So right. she makes this wish that their life could be more like a fairy tale, forgetting that she's not Morgan's mom. She's Morgan's stepmother, and stepmothers don't have it so great in See, fairy I, tales. See, I like that. I it's like a great the, idea. Yeah, I do. I like that as a device. I think it's very clever because of the way stepmothers are treated in fairy tales. So I did, I did like how, what the movie, the twist the movie is built around. I did like that. And so if they don't, by the strike of midnight, like every hour she picks up a new stepmother quality, <laughs> uh, she, vanity, you know, ambition, cruelty. And it is fun to watch Amy Adams, particularly in the very wide-eyed, innocent Giselle character, pick up these little bits of evil. And sometimes it'll go in yeah. the same scene. It reminded me in a strange way of James McAvoy in Split. <laughs> she has to go back and yeah. forth between evil and nice in an in a heartbeat and she really pulls it off. Well, of course, cuz there's I mean there's no questioning Amy Adams' talent. Oh, yeah. She's just amazing. She's an amazing talent. I just feel like and you know, you're probably the better one to speak to this, but but I just felt like it was long and bloated yeah. and it didn't ever really pick up steam no i'm with you here uh I, it did feel bloated it's a full two hours and uh unlike you know our discussion last week about spirited this one did feel come on you're it's going on a little bit too long here and and treading water it also had a little bit of that wink wink that spirited did too uh, some characters like oh you know we're singing again and and talking about the tropes and having some some knowing fun with it which is which is always um you know, a plus, I think, as far as getting the vibe down. But yeah, it, it wore out its welcome um, a little a little for me as well. So I have to agree with you there. But bottom line, if you liked the first one and are looking forward to this, I think you're going to enjoy it. It's on Disney Plus. So if, if you, you already ha- have, if it. you have Disney Plus already, well, then it's certainly worth uh, firing up. But uh, it has its it has its moments. But it just yeah, it's, it's another one of those. We say this all the time, I know. But man, you could if you could shave a half an hour off yeah. of this thing. It just didn't seem to go this long. But there's some fun here, especially if you like this sort of thing and uh, and you like the first one. It's on Disney Plus now. Disenchanted. Next up is a movie biography, the life story of Ferruccio Lamborghini, the founder of Lamborghini. It's called Lamborghini, the man behind the legend. Tell me why you think that the world needs another luxury car. It's perfection that I am after. Care about me. The only thing that matters is a great Lamborghini. What do you want me to do? Why are we here? To make a car. To make the best car. You have a responsibility to tell them what you're doing. Go! 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 Lamborghini is too uneducated to understand what he doesn't know. You buy a Ferrari when you want to be someone. You buy a Lamborghini when you are someone. It is nice to see Frank Grillo in a lead and in a film that doesn't require a lot of action. Yeah. You know, like he doesn't have to be all buff and, and uh, action star. He can just be a, a, an actor. It is because he's been a mainstay with a lot of charisma on the action front now for years. And yeah, he's playing Ferruccio Lamborghini and he's not relying on his brawn. He's relying on his charisma and he has a lot. Uh, and bring his passion to the role. And I think, really, he's the best thing about the movie. This is written and directed by Bobby Moresco, who won an Oscar years ago co-writing Crash with Paul Haggis. Which is, to say that's not one of our yeah, favorite films Yeah, not one is, of our faves. Oh, my goodness, no. But this one, it's interesting because it's about Lamborghini, you know, fast cars. 
this movie seems like it just has its pedal to the metal and will not let up to give you a chance to savor any of these moments. It's it just feels like he's just checking off boxes, making a highlights reel. A highlights reel, making sure we know what happened to this man. You know, he, he got out, he got home from the war, he had a dream. Uh, you know, father didn't think he could do it. Got the money, launched the company. Then, but just okay, we took care of this, took care of this, took care of this, and boom, boom, boom. With ever with never giving any of them the the nuance or the resonance to make you care really at all. And there's a point where he gets the company going and he's he's really under pressure. He's pressuring everyone to get a car ready in like six months for the 1964 Geneva Auto Show. Now, that immediately will make you think of Ford versus Ferrari, right? Because getting a new car ready under a seemingly impossible deadline is very much a part of that movie. And that's not a that's not a comparison that works well in this film's favor because, you know, James Mangold and Ford versus Ferrari – Put the focus in yeah. on a on a limited scope. About an hour. I mean, yeah. about about a year, maybe two years. With, and really. it made you get the details, uh, and you cared about these people. This one just flies right through, and it's all based around it. The, the narrative anchor is a late night uh, drag race, which may or may not have happened between uh, Lamborghini and his rival Enzo Ferrari, played here by Gabriel Byrne. And then while they're doing this drag race and looking at each other across, you know, through the windows and shifting, then Lamborghini is flashing back over his life and what what brought him there. Uh, and you, but you just never feel anything. I think the point was probably to make get inside his his drive to always be trying trying to be be perfect and to be thought of as not the just the farmer that people thought he was. You don't know anything about cars, you're just a farmer. So he's always striving. So we're told that, yeah. but we just we just don't feel it. Mm-hmm. And it's never it, it's, we're never giving any any time to uh to really get inside and and feel anything about this character except that he built this incredible company and this incredible car. But Frank Grillo is very impressive. Mm-hmm. And and he's got a great a great air about him and it's a nice vehicle for him. So that is out now in limited theaters. I think it's getting a wider release the beginning of December and that is Lamborghini the man behind the legend. And next is the latest in a series of horror documentaries for director George Popoff exploring the dark and disturbing secrets behind three of England's most haunted villages. This is Side World Damnation Village. In many ways the picture-perfect countryside village is a defining staple of great British charm. However, behind bolted wooden doors and beneath the thatched roofs, dark secrets are harbored, giving light to violent and disturbing histories. When the line between fact and fiction is enshrouded in mist and shadow, beyond that threshold is a place that can change our perspective on everything we think we know. I call this place the side world. So this is the third. The first one is the haunted forests of England. And the second one, Terrors of the Sea, is about sea monsters and such. Um, and they're fascinating. They really are. And they're all set in the UK, which makes me wonder, how haunted is England? Pretty haunted, actually. <laughs> now, this is uh, director George Popoff. He's the narrator as well. And we and we should say, full disclosure, he's been a guest many times on our other podcast, uh, Fright, Fright Club. Club. We really enjoy him very much, his his work and his guest starring appearances on our uh, on our podcast. So, uh, But this is interesting stuff, and he makes it... 
uh, he's not only a good director, but he's he's an interesting narrator as well. Yeah, one of the things, so what this does is it takes you into three different little villages, uh, and, it, and it goes through their history of spooks, right? And the one, the first of the three villages, is the Guinness Book of World's Record holder for the most haunted place on Earth, or the most haunted place in England. And so it talks about why that is and what you see. And, you know, and then it goes from one one little village to the next. Same thing. Tells you these spooky stories mm-hmm. and gives you some um, images from the from the the villages themselves. And then um, a lot of images also of like because, you know, a lot of these haunts are very old art uh, that has been that, that depicts the Black Abbot and things like that. But one of the things that I really like about all three of these is that. They never feel exploitive at all. He, Popov's delivery and then John Russell's writing, they're sad for the humans whose souls are sort of trapped in these loops. You know, and it's, it's, there's a lot of reverence and it never, you know, it never feels like, ooh, you know what I mean? Like ghost hunting. It really mm-hmm. does. It feels like a very melancholy retelling of these awful, sad stories where these, these people are now trapped in this horrible existence mm-hmm. or this horrible end that they have, which I appreciate. And then the other thing that they always do is sort of tack on something scientific. And in this case, it's um, it is it's like a it's a theory, and they and they get a little bit into the details of it about sort of how energy gets trapped, and it's almost like a time loop, which is to explain why so often a ghost follows the same pattern all the time you just see it in this one pattern no matter what happens the black abbot for example he just he just walks through the cemetery and into this house and up to the up to the attic and then it's over and it happens again and so there is an actual existing scientific reason that that could possibly be so that's interesting as well that they that they don't just dwell on ghost stories but they give you a little bit of science behind it as well so it's just and they always look great Mm -hmm. the cinematography is great the way they place art is great it's it creates a, a a very fun, spooky atmosphere. Yeah, and especially if you've been following these from the forest to the seas, and now to the uh, the villages, you don't want to check it out. It's on. You definitely want to check it out on VOD right now. Side World Damnation Village. Got a drama up next. After being arrested in the Dominican Republic, an Afropean woman escapes and is sheltered by three miners in a dangerous district of Santo Domingo by becoming their protege and maternal figure. She will see her destiny change. This is called Bantu Mama. Daniel Baldwin reviewed this one for us at Mad Wolf. The Schlocketeer. The Schlocketeer. And this one's on Netflix right now, and it's great. You know, it's a, it, the story of a, a drug mule, actually, is what she is. And she gets arrested as she's trying to leave Dominican Republic. And she flees. She escapes. And, and so then, you know, she, she sort of takes up with the, the, these children that, you know, love her and look after her. And she loves them and looks after them. And it's, and it's this really, it's a film about the power of a chosen family. And it's lovely. It's a beautiful movie that you can find on Netflix right now that I honestly, I would not be surprised if it got some consideration for Best Foreign Language Film this mm-hmm. year. Yeah, and definitely check out Daniel's full review at madwolf.com. That's Bantu Mama out now on Netflix. Another foreign language drama next. When two young sisters are torn apart, the eldest loses her identity and transforms into someone new in the name of belonging and resistance. This is called You Resemble Me. I'm <laughs> 
À quoi ils ressemblent tes amis imaginaires À toi et moi. This is the feature debut for writer or co-writer and director Dina Amer. And this was reviewed at MadWolf.com by Tori Haynes, who enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, she loved it. She thought that, you know, everything about it, the sly way the story is revealed, the performances, the cinematography, everything about the movie is just very, very impressive and and highly worth your time. And check out Tori's full review at MadWolf.com. You Resemble Me is out now on VOD. And one more horror film with two young business partners being invited to a week-long yachting voyage with a potential investor. At night, Jennifer's dreams begin to bleed into reality as the others realize that Jennifer may have unknowingly brought something on board. This is Presence. I'm having these dreams. And it felt totally real. Scary. One bad dream can't ruin everything. I know it's strange, but... Human beings are strange creatures. The subconscious is a powerful thing. Our thoughts become reality. You know those dreams I told you about? What's going on? What do you want? What do you want? Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us over at madwolf.com and I think was pretty hopeful for it. It turns out to be dumb. Um, It's a film that sort of thinks that it's generating tension and it's really just generating confusion. First of all, what the the business partners, what do they do? It's not totally clear. They make zippers? Something like that, yeah. It seems like they make zippers. (laughs) Uh, And uh, and they've been separated. uh, And, you know, the one is not sure what's happened to the other one. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, is this invitation on this yacht with this new business partner. Uh, but it's just there's there's not a lot to hang the story on here. And in the end, instead of having that feel like it's ambiguous intentionally to make things spooky or scary, it just feels like it's kind of underwritten and uh, not well developed. It, it's not it was a big disappointment for Rachel. Yes. And her full review is up now at MadWolf.com. Presence is out now on VOD. All right, so we mentioned the schlocketeer earlier. Let's check in, see what's happening in the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby, checking in with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the schlocketeer, for what's happening with Studio News. What's going on? Well, first up, if you're a Guillermo del Toro fan and are looking forward to his stop-motion animated Pinocchio movie that's slated to hit Netflix on December 9th, you might want to check your local theater listings today because it's getting a wider early theatrical release than previously expected. I even have it down in my area, so that's how far wide they've taken it. That's great because it looks fantastic. If you can see it on the big screen, you should. It's great. Absolutely. Uh, Genre festival darling Vietnamese Horror Story is now available to stream on the horror service Screenbox. And on December 2nd, Disney has a supernatural teen comedy called Darby and the Dead that is premiering on Hulu. And then the action horror comedy Mad Heidi, which is described as the world's first Swissploitation film, uh, will be available to stream on demand exclusively through the film's website from December 8th through December 22nd, with all profits then going directly to the filmmakers. After that, it will begin to circulate through the usual VOD outlets. So if you've ever wanted to see uh, 
the classic Heidi turn into a warrior woman and take on a fascist cheese tycoon and his dairy Gestapo, Mad Heidi should satisfy your cheesy cinema cravings. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and there's a Christmas horror thriller called The Apology that will arrive in theaters as well as on Shudder, uh, both on December 16th. There is also a Michael Jai White action flick called As Good as Dead, arriving in theatrical release in VOD on the same day, December 16th. Uh, Sony has pushed back the release of their Whitney Houston biopic, I Want to Dance with Somebody, but only by two days. It's now hitting on December 23rd. And then Saban Films is releasing a Nicolas Cage Western called The Old Way in theaters on January 6th, followed by a VOD release a week later. Sony has also moved up the release of their searching sequel, Missing, by one month to January 20th, and it is now a wide release. So that's a big vote of confidence in that one. Yeah. And Disney has said an April 20th Hulu premiere for Quasi, which is a take on Hunchback of Notre Dame by the comedy troupe Broken Lizard, who previously gave us uh, Super Troopers, Club Dread, and Beer Fest. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then IFC has set an April 28th theatrical release for their comedy Paint, which stars Owen Wilson as a Bob Ross analog. So that should be entertaining. As a so what? He's gonna, basically, he's playing a riff on Bob Ross. Oh, Bob Ross. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. <All right. laughs> Not actual Bob Ross, but might as well be. Sure, Bob okay, Ross. I got you. All yeah, right. Just beating the devil out of those brushes. Um, Sony's upcoming rom com, It's All Coming Back to Me, has been pushed back from February 10th to May 12th, which also sounds like a vote of confidence. And that's all I've got for you this week. All right. Appreciate it as always. And you can uh, catch up on the latest news with Daniel anytime. Find him on socials at The Schlocketeer. Have a good weekend. Hey, you too. Okay, looking ahead to next week, well, a holiday weekend, so you know it's going to bring some big ones out. We've got the new one from Disney, Strange World, is out next weekend. The new one from Spielberg, The Fablemans. Speaking of Oscar contenders, also Bones and All, we're looking forward to that. Yeah, Glass Onion, enjoyed that one. Latest, that's the uh, sequel to Knives Out. A new one from Noah Baumbach, we just saw the other day, called White Noise. Also Devotion. Blood Relatives. My Apocalyptic Thanksgiving. Ooh. Interesting there. King of Laughter. And Sirens. Okay, all that action-packed Thanksgiving weekend, as we might expect. So that's next week, but what do you think about this week? What's good? The menu, she said. Anything else you want to talk about from this week or maybe even from a few weeks back? We're always up for it, talking movies. You can find us easily on Twitter, I guess, however long that lasts. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You're on Twitter more than I am. I don't know what's going on. Uh, (laughs) On fire. (laughs) At Mad Wolf on Twitter. Also on uh, Facebook and Instagram, you can find us at Mad Wolf Columbus and the main website where you can get all of our written reviews and, as we mentioned, our other podcasts called Fright Club. You can find that all at madwolf.com. So enjoy the movies. Let's talk about them, and we'll uh, get together again next week, hopefully. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>